You know, this is an, uh, quite a challenge that we face in the church. And at the same time, uh, to give me the ability to present it correctly. Because after the 2015 General Conference, uh, people are confused. And one side presented from the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, and people say, yes, amen. And then the next presenter comes from the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, and people say, amen. Why two different presentations, both of them, the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy, and different reactions, different concepts. And so you can see here how Satan tries to confuse our church and this is among the scholars. What about the, the church members? Where are we going? And, uh, and so when I was working on this uh, two weeks ago, uh, I noticed that in order for me to present this clearly, this is one presentation, but then there is committees that have been working on what the Bible and the Spirit of Prophecy says. And so that is another dimension. And then another dimension is, hey, what do they do with the spirit of prophecy? Why do they do? Says, okay, the general conference needs to be followed. And the other one says, no, Alan Wright says the general conference doesn't need to be followed. How are you going to solve this? You know? So really, this is one presentation out of four and the, the other ones I may sometimes in the future. So, but I will not, you know, burden you with it now. Because you won't want to, at least you want to be in time for supper home. So how did the crisis in authority develop? And this is not specifically about women ordination, but about what is at stake is now the unity of the church. And keep that in mind, even if ordination plays a part in it, it is the unity of the church. And here is then how the crisis in authority developed. In the late 1960s, the attention began to be focused on the role of women in leadership positions. And not only that, but in the 1970s, Several general conference commissions studied this question from the standpoint of theology, ecclesiology, which is the doctrine of the church, and mission. And, uh, you know, you would say, you know, then you get some progress, but unfortunately, there was no progress. <coughs> this was the first really women committees in Mohaven. And uh, that was the first time when there were about the same amount of men as uh, women. And uh, uh, if I give, if my wife could give the whole background to this, and then you can say, sad, sad, sad. Because uh, as a result of this study committee, with the exception of one person, one woman, everybody agreed on women and ordination, basically. But how can you convey this then to the church in large? Because the church is not ready for it. So here you get in the 1973 Autumn Council of the General Conference Committee. And continued study be given, that is what they decided, to the theological soundness of the election of women to local church offices which require ordination. And that in areas receptive to such actions, there be continued recognition of the appropriateness of appointing women to pastoral evangelistic work. So this was a kind of a green light. You know, let us go on here, but slowly. Then you get the next year in the 1974 Autumn Council of the General Conference Committee. It reaffirmed sections of the 1973 action and added its opinion that in the interest of world unity of the church, 
no move be made in the direction of ordaining women to the gospel ministry. And the gospel ministry, uh, in the documents, that means the ordained ministry. Not women just doing gospel work, no. In, in the documents that I will present, gospel ministry is the ordained leadership of the local church and everywhere else. Now, it was only a few years later that uh, women were pastors, were baptized as candidates in the Columbia Union. In, 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 in one of the statements is because the church now ordains women as local elders, the possibility exists now for women to perform baptisms. You know? Now, my wife wrote uh, in a little later on, Pushing the Brethren, how, 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 how there was this, this, this move, that rise of women, that we need to have this position, we need to have the position, and we need to be egality. Everything should be the same. The idea that there is this inequality is not good. Everything should be the same for male and female. This idea started already in the French Revolution, as you know, remember. But uh, this was very, very strongly emphasized. Now you get the 1985 General Conference. And it urged here that affirmative action for the involvement of women in the work of the church be a priority. And to request leaders to use their executive influence to open to women all aspects of ministry in the church that do not require ordination. And I'm a strong advocate of women in, in the ministry of the church. But does this include ordination to the gospel ministry? That's a different question. And, and, and today I will not go specifically in the analysis of the biblical text. I may do that at another time because it is very, very important. And then in 1988, Women's Commission, my wife was there, uh, one of the involvements, and that was in uh, March in 1988. And there, uh, you know, was also progress made. Then you get the 1990 uh, General Conference in Indianapolis. And here you see all the speakers that want to be that was the stadium there, and they wanted to speak on this issue. And this issue, this, and many people don't realize it, but that is very, very important here. It accepted the recommendation of the 1989 Annual Council that in view of the, of the widespread lack of support for ordination of women to the gospel ministry in the world church, and in view of the possible risk of disunity, dissension and diversion from the mission of the church, we do not approve the ordination of women to the gospel ministry. Yes, women can work as evangelists in all kinds of things, but not as the ordained leadership of the church that is in charge of the church. And that, and many people today don't, Know this. And the North American Division make all kinds of statements. Yes, 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 it has been approved. It has not been approved in 1990. Then, in 1995, the General Conference dealt with a question of variance. The North American Division, we are ready. Our people want it, whether it's true or not. But our people want it, and so therefore, we in the North American Division should give, be given the freedom to start ordaining women. This decision denied this request from the North American Division, that each division has the right to author, authorize the ordination of individuals, within its territory in harmony with established policies. In addition, where circumstances do not render it inadvisable, a division may authorize the ordination of qualified individuals without regard 
to gender, whether you're male or female. That was the request. And so uh, they invited two Andrews University professors, Dr. Raul Dedren and Dr. Gerard Darmstiegt, of the pro and against views on women ordination. And I still remember there was a call from Cairo by uh, President Falkenberg. And he said, you know, Darmstadt, uh, we discussed this and we like to have two presenters, one for and one against. I said, you know, I don't know what to do because uh, I have not made up my mind. Oh, yeah, but the brethren feel that you are a good candidate and, and so you present the position against. So I had to study whether I agreed with against or not. Yeah. And I said, you know, I don't think that those issues, you know, Ellen White warns against dividing the brethren and sisters. I don't think that will be good for our church. He says, you know, don't worry about it. The brethren have prayed about it. The brethren have decided, and you are one. Okay, I said, you know. And so, here I am. I presented this, and this is the uh, link. If you today... If you click on this link, you go directly to YouTube and you see my 20-minute presentation. Why I don't agree with the North American Division. Of course, this pre presentation has not uh, gained me any friends in, <laughs> in North America. Maybe a few. Maybe a friends. <laughs> a few, yes, yes, yes. But, you know, since 1995, my position at the seminary has been different. But anyway, you know, the Lord is uh, in charge. So soon after this, you find then that women began to be ordained. Even if the decision of the council, the session was against. They started this. Women were ordained anyway, ordination in the Potomac and the Southeastern uh, California Conference. In September 23, 1995, in the Sligo Church, Norman Osborne, Kendra, Holoviak, and Penny Shell were ordained. Even if the jail conference decided against it, they went ahead. Now, in the 2010 general conference, again, at the session, there was a request for an official church study ordination. The Young Conference Administration informed the session of its commitment, quote, to establishing a process to review the subject of ordination and will report back to the annual council during this quinquennial, which is a period of 2010 to 2015. So this was the first official request to a Young Conference. We have to study this. And here is uh, the TASC, this is an abbreviation of the Theology of Ordination Study Committee. And uh, my wife and I were both uh, participants in this uh, study committee. Uh, it is the General Conference Theology of Ordination Study Committee, the TASC. Its membership included more than 100 persons of both genders, male and female, serving the church as theologians, pastors, administrators, laypersons, mostly from the NAD. And so this is not the representative committee over the whole world. And one of the reasons is the church can pay for it. I mean, it is an enormous investment, you know, to get people bringing from all kinds of parts of the world there. And even in, in North America, it was quite pricey. And it met for four times over a period of two years. And what are now the results of that study committee? First of all, the disagreement. And we didn't agree. The study committee did not arrive at a consensus regarding a biblical position or Ellen G. White counsel on whether or not ministerial ordination should include male and female. We didn't agree with this. However, there were agreements because initially there were people that said ordination is not biblical. 
and uh, it's Roman Catholic and we shouldn't do that. No, we, we did reach a high degree of accord concerning a biblical theology of ordination. It agreed about ordination as practiced in the early church in the New Testament. Two points. One, that Seventh-day Adventists understand ordination in a biblical sense as an action of the church in publicly recognizing those whom the Lord has called and equipped for local and global ministry. So, you know, so if you are ordained as a pastor, whether you are serving here in North America, it's accepted worldwide. And so, therefore, if North America agrees on women ordination, but the rest of the world not, you have a problem when those women go to those places. So they said, you know, let us not do this. And so, but they agreed that ordination... Uh, okay, and so, number one. Seventh-day Adventist understanding of the ordination in the biblical sense is as the action of the church in publicly recognizing those whom the Lord has called and equipped for local and global ministry. Number two, that while ordination contributes to the church order, it neither conveys special qualities to the person or introduces a kingly hierarchy within the faith community. You know, I mean, in the Roman Catholic Church, if you're ordained, you're untouchable. See? But in the Adventist church, an ordained minister still can make mistakes, can do those things and whatever that are not proper or whatever. So, hey, you don't have a special status symbol to the pastor. He is still a human being, can make mistakes. So that was, those two, we, we all agree with this. So that Tosk report was presented at the 2014 Annual Council. And this report included theological and hermeneutical. Hermeneutic is uh, how you interpret the Bible. Hermeneutical reasons for conclusions on both sides of the question. The committee suggested three ways. How can we go forward and preserve the unity? Three ways. But it did not make a consensus recommendation concerning the practice of ordination in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. So one view was that ordination of women is not biblical, not supported in the church. Another one, on the other side of the extreme, is yes, there is nothing in the Bible that is against women ordination. And the middle position was, we don't accept women ordination, but... In case of emergency, she may be ordained. Of course, that position was not, you know, some like it, but uh, it caused a lot of confusion. In fact, uh, all the papers during the two years were either for or against, and the last uh, possibility that you don't ordain except in emergency was introduced at the very last moment and was never any papers were discussed about that position and whatever. And uh, I know that many of the, uh, several of the general conference officers were very unhappy because it should never be allowed to be introduced at the very last moment. And you can see here what, 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 what the, the problem is. So the result now, what are now the final results of this committee that we spent thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars on it, the question becomes now of how church members will live in harmony and unity while acknowledging the presence of different views of the issue of women ordination. Here you have one church. One third says no. Another third, yes. And the other third is only an emergency. I mean, that is a tinderbox of conflict. You know. So that was really not... And so... When this was presented at the general conference, the concern was again, how can we keep our church united with those three views? So in 2015, there was no solution. And here you have the general conference session. I was one of the delegates there. And here it is. 
recognizing the importance of this question with respect to understanding the Bible, the multinational and multicultural nation of the church and its mission, and the biblical example of addressing differences that do not directly involve fundamental beliefs, the General Conference Executive Committee chose to again call for guidance from the global church. So the pressure was so much that they said, let us present it again and let's see what the outcome will be. Now, everybody got papers, you know, and, and all the position papers that we have on task pre presented, they were all on the internet, everybody could study this and whatever. But in the final presentation, it was stressed by both sides that the decisions in the general conference have authority. Not simply, you know, another opinion. No, when the general conference in session makes a decision, it has authority. And that is very, very important. Seventh-day Adventists recognize these decisions as the will of the church. Ellen G. White affirmed this view as follows. I have been shown that, in, that no man's judgment should be surrendered to the judgments of any man. What do you say? Very important. But when the judgment of the general conference, which is the highest authority that God has upon earth, exercises private independence and private judgment must not be maintained but surrendered. See, only when it is, we're all together. And then we make a judgment, then individual differences need to be surrendered. And then the majority will take place. And that is in, in harmony with Ellen White and whatever. So that is done the reason. So the motion then on ordination that was in the context of church unity. You know, unity, we have to be together, 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 and should not split us up. Whereas, the unity for which Jesus prayed is vitally important to the witness of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, whereas the Seventh-day Adventist Church seeks to engage every member in its worldwide mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ among the people from every nation, culture, ethnicity, and, whereas various groups appointed by the General Conference and its divisions have carefully studied the Bible and Ellen White's writings with respect to ordination of women and have not arrived at consensus as to whether ministerial ordination for women is unilateral, affirmed, or denied, and whereas the Seventh-day Adventist Church affirms that God has ordained that representatives of his church from all parts of the earth when assembled in a general conference session, shall have authority. Therefore, this is the motion. After you prayed, and the, and the delegates were given, with all the documents, probably a half a year at a time. After you have prayer, prayerfully studied on ordination from the Bible and the writings of Ellen White, and the reports of the study commissions, and after you have carefully consideration, given consideration of what is best for the church in the fulfillment of its mission, it is acceptable for division executive committees, wherever they are in the world, as they may deem it appropriate in their territories to make provision for ordination of women to the gospel ministry. Is that possible? Is that allowable? Yes or no? And then the vote here, and here you see the people in line, speaking and speaking, and there were so many people that spoke that it, it could never even be realized. The vote count, there was a total of 2,363 votes. Yes! Divisions can go ahead, 977, no, 1381, abstaining 5. So it was clearly uh, rejected, that request from the North American Division. It was rejected clearly. And 
the vote would even be more in favor of it because there were hundreds of delegates from Africa that did not get their visa and were not allowed to enter the United States. So this is still the situation. After the vote, President Wilson made this appeal. I appeal to all of us in this church to put away difference of opinion. You may guard an opinion, but let's be careful how we express it and move ahead. We need to humble ourselves before God as we recognize God's instruction regarding a general conference in session. And he quoted that statement by Ellen White. My friends and my colleagues, my fellow church members, in this great Advent movement, now is the time to unify under the bloodstained banner of Jesus Christ and his power. Not our own power. Now is the time, and I'm very serious about this, to unify in the mission of God's church as we move forward in unity. I appeal to you, heart, for calmness and peace. How important it is for us to avoid controversy since the mission of the church is at stake. Next, Wilson shared a quotation from Testimonies, Volume 9, page 216. Let every believer do his best to prepare the way for the gospel ministry work, missionary work that is to be done. But let no one enter into controversy. It is Satan's objections to keep Christians occupied in controversies among themselves. God's workers are to be of one mind, one heart, praying for the impartation of the Spirit and believing that God will fulfill his word. And so one year later, because, you know, what happened, people continue to ignore the actions of the Young Conference Session. So there was presented a study of church governors, governance, and unity. This study of Seventh-day Adventist Church policy and its relationship to the unity is for the purpose of guiding the church in relation to policies concerning the ordaining and credentialing of pastors. And uh, it focused specifically on the unity and the GC working policy. And it shows the connection between unity and the General Conference working policy. The present policy is the result of 150 years of discussions among church leaders from around the world, chosen by church members to represent them. So what we have is a representative government that all the churches send delegates to constituency meetings, and in the constituency meetings are conference individuals chosen, to unions, union people are being chosen, and the union people elect general conference things. So you can see here that each one of us has a voice. Measures became policy only when a majority agreed on them. Its chief purpose was foster unity and mission. So you can see here that when something like that becomes a policy, it's not one or two people, not a small group of people. No, a body worldwide that select. And therefore, we have to be careful to reject whatever doesn't agree with us. Now, what are the criteria for ordination set by the World Church? Ever since the Seventh-day Adventist Church first established its criteria for ordination of ministers in 1879, the World Church has set such criteria. But since 1930, the General Conference Executive Committee has delegated to unions responsibility for selecting candidates for ordination based on the criteria by the World Church. So unions can select the candidates or approve the candidates, but the criteria 
is said by the world church. Unfortunately, nowadays, the unions take the courage to say, you know, we can do it. And set their own standards. And as a result of those unions that go ahead, we get a major confusion in the church. And what shall you do when people take things in their own hand? Shall we continue to do this? What do you do with a young child? And if the child continues, disobeys. Oh, no, 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 no. That is an abuse of the children. No. So what do you do now in the church? You have now to develop a policy. What are you going to do with those people? Those unions, those conferences, those churches. And so the document also mentions that there are major departures from the world church. In fact, starting in 2012, however, a few unions have claimed to be the right to set the criteria for ordination, disregarding the 1990 general conference session that allowed not or that not allowed women to be ordained to the gospel ministry, and the decisions in 1995 and 2015 of the general conference sessions not to allow variances. So three times this has been produced. And still, they go ahead. Since the last 2015 General Conference session, some unions and conferences have diverged from the General Conference working policy by discontinuing ordinations. So some unions said, okay, if you can't do it, get rid of all the ordinations. And yet the TOS committee says this is a biblical, you know, action. Jesus did it. The apostles did it. And so how can you do as a church, do away with all those things? And commissioning. So let me read this again here. Since 2015 General Conference sessions, some unions and conferences have diverged from the GC working policy by discontinuing ordination and commissioning or licensing all new pastors, including ministerial licenses and commissioned the minister's credentials or license to all pastors in the territory, including those who have already been ordained, and allowing commissioned or licensed ministers to function as ordained ministers. Now you see it gets quite confused with all those new, new, new things. But it's all introduced to give the women more power to work in those functions. And you may not use the word ordination, but you use the word commissioning. And if commission is nearly the same as ordination, you got it anyway. So you can see here what a struggle it is. And we really need now to develop something to stop this confusion. This study emphasizes the world church's position on ordination. Not just the North American division, but the world church. It should be based on the Bible, as Ellen White indicated shortly after the landmark of 1901 reorganization of the church. It makes the case that unions and conferences should not unilaterally depart from what has been agreed to by the world church. Because what you get then is, just like the Lutherans and the, and the Reformed churches and the Calvinistic churches, you have here... The Lutheran Church in Germany, the Lutheran Church in the Netherlands, the Lutheran Church in Canada, the Lutheran Church, all united separately. And they develop policies according to how they see it. Can you see here? The, the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Mexico, the Seventh-day Church in France, the Seventh-day Church in, in Italy, and each one with their own program. We are a world church and we are united together. And the idea in 2015 is we either go united forward or we don't. We stay here. So here you see the document here of uh, a number of pages. And that was then unity and mission, procedures in the church, reconciliation. How can we reconcile those things together? Document unity and mission, procedures in church, reconciliation. After much prayer, consultation, and discussion, it is 
quoted one. To adopt the following steps of reconciliation with entities that appear to have overlooked or ignored the biblical principles as expressed in the fundamental beliefs voted by actions or the working policy of the church. So here then is how we get rid of the unity, the, the, the units that are going, uh, are going ahead anyway. First, we listen in prayer. Then we consult with the wider group. Then write pastoral letters if we don't accomplish anything. And then give them a six-month time of discussion. If after six months of discussion the matter has not been resolved, the executive officers of the next higher organization should write pastoral letters encouraging the executive officers and governing body of the entity to lead that organization to be faithful. So you can see here that, you know, how long this process will take. Then, again, after six months, we listen in prayer. And then we start the next phase of reconciliation. Vote number two. To request the General Conference Administrative Committee to recommend to the 2017 Annual Council procedures to step, procedural steps to be followed in the event that resolution of the conflict is not achieved under the procedures identified under recommendation number one. Even so, come Lord Jesus. So in summary, this document sought to provide a pastoral approach involving dialogue and greater understanding among those involved. And this document was voted by the annual council, 169 endorsing it, 124 voted against it. So, the 2017 North American Executive Committee voted motions. And those were two motions against this document. And one is by Dr. Wisby. The first motion was made by Randy Wisby, president of Lama Sierra University. And Wisby's state, statement read, The attendees of the North American Division year-end meeting respectfully request that the General Conference provide Elder Sandra Roberts, president of the Southeastern California Conference, the same right, rights, respects, and privileges of, of of office as any other conference president within the North American Division who has been duly elected by an official and legal constituency meeting that, of that conference. You see, when they elected that woman as a president of Southern Eastern California, what did the young conference do? They didn't list her name in the yearbook. So, President, blank. Of course, that was upset the North American Division greatly. Sorry, sorry, we have not, it's not in harmony with our decision voted. And so that is what he made, Wisby made. Then the next vote, the second motion was brought forth by Randy Roberts, senior pastor of the Loma Linda University Seventh-day Adventist Church. This is what he said. It reads, Seventh-day Adventist Church exists to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ as expressed in the th three angels' messages, nothing should impede this prophetic mission. Then he continued, it is thus with grave concern that the members of the North American Division Executive Committee witnessed the passing of the Unity in Mission document at the recent annual council. The implementation of this document will create, indeed is already creating, a profound division and demoralizing reality in many parts of the North American division. See, so get rid of this. After discussion period, the delegates voted by electronic device. 163 yes, we protest against this. 35 no, one abstention. So you can see here the vast majority here of North America, didn't like that at all. And uh, they rejected this. So the next year then, 
General Conference Annual Council. So now, during that year, they had more defined exactly the steps how we can bring this into compliance. And oh, no, 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 this, there was a problem with it. The document was Procedures for Reconciliation Adherence in the Church Governance Phase 2. The summary is the document outlines the second phase of a process of reconciliation voted during last year's annual council, which is in 2016, that sought to initiate standard procedures for maintaining church unity in matters involving non-compliance. What are you going to do with those who don't listen and don't appreciate what the church has done? Okay, here it is. It describes non-compliance, what it really means, and the result of non-compliance. And the document differentiates non-compliant practicals into three categories. They created three committees that deal with this. One is those who disagree with the fundamental beliefs. Now you can say, yeah, but you know, every officer you know, would, would agree with this. Not so, friends. So they had a special unity for this. Category two, the voting actions of the General Conference in session, which was also the 200, 2015, or by the General Conference Executive Committee, which, if not implemented, would create, would adversely impact church unity. That's another group. And then finally, category three, policies, initiate actions and practices that local that are local in nature and not in violation for the actions voted in general conference sessions and would not impact the church unity. So you can have groups of people that don't, don't agree with this, but it is not a major problem. So resolution of non-compliance. What do we have to do? Officers and administrators must be in harmony with the GC working policy. So how do you get them to agree with this? How do you know that they agree with this? Those who show inability or unwillingness to administer their work in harmony with the policy should not be continued in executive leadership by their respective constituency or governing board of committees. So that is basically you be discontinued and whatever. And there was specifically the group of category number two, those who disagree with the general conference uh, uh, session actions. Okay, those who are not in compliance with this, who don't recognize it, what do you do with those? Now, normally, you know, you have to disclose that in the voting, you don't have any financial conflict. But now, in addition to the standard financial conflict of interest statement, each conference executive committee member will be asked to a statement of commitment regarding general conference sessions actions, general conference executive committee actions, and general conference working policy, and the sacred spiritual trust of leadership. Those, and you have to sign and if you don't sign the document for whatever reason, you will forfeit the privileges of voice, vote, and subcommittee participation. So you're quiet. But you have, every one of those committees have to sign a statement. And I tell you, you know, and I know it because, you know, in, in the seminary sometimes, there was something, we want to know what you believe in the seminary. Please, will you sign this statement? And there was a tremendous uproar. We are not going, you have to trust us. Trust us. Don't you believe us in what we say? And so here was, it was also here. So here, and the same rules apply to invitees to the annual council and the delegates to the general conference. Each one has to sign it, and if you don't sign it, you will have no participation. This document, with the voice of 184 yes and 140, well, 
No, the document went back to the Unity of Mission and Oversight Committee for revision. The vote on the revised document will take place on the Annual Council in 2018. So in other words, that document, shall we accept it or not? No. It was rejected or sent back to the committee because we don't want to have anything to have that we have to sign things. So it went then back. Now you get then this year the 2018 General Conference Annual Council. The document, there was another document now, a regard for, we have to regard for and practice of the General Conference in session and the General Conference Executive Committee actions. The main point, it started out with appeal, make every effort to keep the unity and the spirit through the point of peace, Ephesians 4, verse 3. And then, we are coming to a time when more than ever before we shall need to press together to what? To labor unitedly in union there is strength. This was a statement of the second volume of Selected Messages, pages 373 and 374. Okay, how are we now going to report the perceived non-compliance? And it has to do with the organization closest to the matter. So what they decided to do, to follow Matthew 18. If you see things, write it down and spell it out. And it has to do with the one who is closest. So again, it is not hierarchical from President Wilson. Hey, union, conference, do something about it. No, from the lowest up. Amen. See here? Of course, that takes more time, but that is what was done. And so the organization closes to the matter. And then the process of addressing perceived compliance. Write it down. Spell it out. Much prayer again in dialogue. Provide a clearly written statement defining the perceived compliance because we may perceive something, but it may not be true. So we really bend backwards and then we showed it to the non-compliant organization, is this what you do? Then upon receiving the written statement, provide 60 days for the executive officers of the perceived non-compliant unity to provide evidence of compliance or a plan how to achieve. So, I mean, they are very merciful. I mean... Okay, the next one is, then create a supportive atmosphere by which to achieve compliance and unity and provide a reasonable time frame, give them again 30 days, to provide evidence of non-compliance or a plan to achieve sustained compliance. So first you give them six months, oh no, no, uh, 60 days, and now you give them 30 days again. And so then... And if that doesn't work out, and if they are relieved from the position, they can appeal. Process of appeal. Then the process of unresolved matters that goes into great detail and whatever. And then the disciplinary measures. In the event the due process referenced above does not bring about compliance, its duly elected leader may be subject to the following disciplinary measures. First, they get now a warning. But the warning is to the institution, not to the person. Secondly, a public recommends that will be published. And that is to the president or to the organization or to the administrative leadership. And if that doesn't work, then he's placed on removal for cause. There is sufficient cause by a two-third majority of vote Subject to policy application. That is now in the uh, General Conference bylaws. So you can see here that this has been very, very mild, as it were. And time and time again will be given how to put your house in order. 
voted to approve the document regard for and practice of general conference session and general conference executive committee actions. So the count of the secret ballot was now as follows. Yes, 185, no, 124, abstain two. So this now is policy and every division and every union and whatever had to comply with this. So now the, the concern now that people have seen now in the North American division is the reaction of the North American division. Here is an, uh, a cartoon and there is, uh, you know, the golden statue and then there's the three were Hebrew worthies. The one is uh, one union. There are three unions that are not complying. And it says, uh, Sister, will you surrender? Yes, we will give you another last chance to bow down to the graven image. So here is the North American division response to the annual council vote. And so this was on November 6. Our position in response to the document voted in the 2018 General Council. Now we have seen that the other ones are in harmony with the Bible, with the spirit of prophecy, with the councils and whatever. What is now the response of North America? We recognize Christ as the head of the church. And we agree with that. We are guided, interesting here, by the Bible as our only creed, the Holy Spirit who inspired and interprets it, the writings of Ellen G. White that shines light on it, and the resulting spirit of Christ-like forbearance. So everything that the world view said and the world church said, we go by the Bible, spirit of prophecy, and come with all kind of evidence, they cited against it. You can see here how church members get confused. See? We are, we are compelled to reject the spirit and direction of this document voted, as it is not consistent with the biblical model of church. So, is discipline not a part of the Bible? See? And here it, 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 it is not in harmony with this. We simply cannot, in good conscience, support or participate in the implementation of the process outlined in the document, as it is contrary to culture of respect and collaboration taught in the Bible. We believe that the document moves us away from the biblical value proclaimed by the Protestant reformers. Show us that. I can see that this is in a way from the Protestant reformers and the founders of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And in so doing, moves us toward a centralized power and a hierarchical system of governance that overrides the policies and procedures already in place. We just said Matthew 28, Matthew 18. You begin by this, and then the organization closes to it and goes and goes, and finally you come by the top. Hierarchical thing is you start from the top and go down, 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 down. Anyway, this is the result of three years of working to bring compliance. Many people say, we are wasting our time. But anyway, after final thing here. We are alarmed that in this document, church policy and voted actions are equated with scripture. But what we have seen is that the actions and policies that he developed came from scripture. We also are deeply concerned by the use of shame as a punitive measure because it is in violation of the spirit of the gospel. So is discipline as it is spelled here out. You know? Is that in contrast to the gospel? Again, the document moves us away from the principles behind the 1901 and 1903 reorganization endorsed by Ellen White which decentralizes denominational authority. And I can have a whole presentation on that also. The voicing of our objection is in alignment with the 1877 General Conference voted action, 
which allows for questioning any general conference vote shown to conflict with the word of God and the rights of an individual conscience. So that is, again, an objection. Ellen White, in response to an 1888 general conference session, voted that she has counseled against, later wrote, it was not right for the conference to pass it. It was not in God's order that a resolution, and this resolution will fall powerless on the ground. I shall not sustain it, Ellen White says, for I would not be found working against God. This is not God's way of working. I will not give countenance for a moment. And I have one presentation that I, you would like to see. And that is the word general conference. Ellen White sometimes criticizes the general conference when it is a group of three, four, five people. Or the general conference when it is a smaller session. And the general conference when it is worldwide. And every of those statements, you have to look in its context. And what the North American Division is doing, they seem always to apply it to the world field, which is incorrect. And so if you don't know this information, you say, yeah, it's true. It's true. We can question the general conference. We can question this. So that is it. And when she says that the general conference has authority, it's not a small group of a couple of people, but it is the whole world field. Representations of all the world field. Okay. We believe the church should take heed of this council at this moment of our history. Request for action. We respectfully request in the light of Jesus' prayer for unity in John 17 and in harmony with the call for the unity in the body of Christ in fundamental beliefs number 14, that the General Conference Executive Committee at the 2019 Annual Council rescind the action proving the document, approving the document. We respectfully request that the 2019 Annual Council revises any policy that enables majority fields to dictate the management of non-doctrinal, non-biblical issues to minority fields, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, and create policies that protect the interest of minority. You see here? She said, that is not democracy. We should have balance. We should be consulted. Yes. We respectfully request that an item to be placed on the 2020 General Conference session Agenda calling for a statement by the World Church. One, that affirms our shared respect for the richness and variety of multiple cultures and practices in which we minister. And secondly, empower ministry that is sensitive to the local context. See? So our culture, our context demands this. Well, before that, even the TOSC study committee clearly indicated that it is biblical. And they said no. And it goes against our conscience. Now, if you read the Bible very carefully, you look in the research on the word conscience, and the Paul says well, you can have a seared conscience. Your conscience may be not at all in harmony with the Bible. So that is very, very important. It is our sincere hope that the future will be characterized by continual prayer an open dialogue empowered by him who is able to do far more abundantly than that all that we ask or think. And so here then is the response and the related articles uh, you can get here from, the, uh, from all the documents. So this is then the challenge that we have where you have several positions, each claims the Bible and the spirit of prophecy in its favor. And so the focus now is, how do we interpret the Bible? Hermeneutics. 
And if we have the correct biblical interpretation, then we should have the same view. And I have a presentation where we deal with the biblical, historical view and the principle-based cultural historical view. And that is a new approach to the Bible that has been introduced by the North American Division. And they feel that we all should accept it. Why can we not have one simple system of interpretation? The biblical, historical approach, grammatical approach to the Bible. The North American Division says, yes, that is good for most of them. But when it comes to a very difficult issue, like an elder should be a husband of one wife. If we don't know this, we need to have the other approach. Can you imagine? A whole new approach that we have to introduce to our church. Because then we can understand that really a husband of one wife can be understood as a spouse of a spouse. What happened to the Bible, friends? Anyway, this is a whole other presentation for the future. How to interpret the Bible. Okay, friends, uh, this is the end of my presentation. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.